Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Over the Line, a maintenance disrupted podcast. And I'm your host, Steve Doby. Today, we welcome Rob Kalroski, former host of this podcast, and Lord Williams from Elite High Performance to discuss leadership. It's a pretty broad term that we discuss, but you know, we're we're really looking at leadership 2.0. What does new leadership look like? What is what's engagement look like? What is how can we treat people as people first? And also, how can we treat people as the assets that they are? This is something we often forget that people are assets. You hear management at different companies talk about it all the time, where our people is our biggest asset, but we don't treat them like that. We do preventative maintenance on trucks, on equipment, but we don't do it on people. We, we, run, them, we run them to the ground. We burn them out, and then we wonder why we have some problems. Um, this podcast, we, we dive into those issues, and we really think about, okay, how do we treat these people first? How do we get people into a different headspace? How do we get ourselves into a different headspace to make our lives and the people around us better? This podcast is, you know, it, it sounds like it might be for somebody who's leading a team, but the reality is it's, it's for everybody because we're always leaders to ourselves even if we're not leaders to others. Enjoy the episode, and by all means, if you have any feedback, questions, comments, let us know. But before we jump in, we've got a quick message from our sponsor, Star West Petroleum. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, Star West Petroleum. Having personally worked with Star West, in a previous job, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our cost and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Phillips 66 lubricants, Kindall Performance Motor Oils, Phillips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel heating and furnace oil, but really, it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. Um, I've got two special guests today. You probably remember Rob Kalroski, former host of uh, Rob's Reliability Project, which was maintenance disrupted and we've also got lauren william from elite high performance thank well, you for having us yeah it's great so rob you've obviously been going on a leadership journey um started probably beginning of this year i'd say is when you really started to to jump more into that and and lauren tell us a little bit about yourself where have you been where you are now what you're looking to do yeah absolutely um so a little bit about me um i was an athlete growing up my entire life um, ran into some 
some pretty hefty personal life issues uh, in high school and, um, you know, started to watch the dream that I had of, you know, playing professional hockey and going to college for hockey started to slip away. Um, and I was really fortunate enough to find, um, you know, mental performance coaching and really started on this journey of, of figuring out how you can optimize human performance um, by, you know, getting into the mental gym. Um, so I played four years of college hockey at uh, probably, you know, the, the premier women's hockey program in North America at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, played a couple of years pro and while I was playing professionally got my master's in counseling. So yeah, now I work for elite high performance as a uh, mindset brain trainer and a leadership coach. So yeah, I work with people and helping them, you know, tap into, you know, their passion to help figure out what it is that you want from life, to figure out how to get through your nine to five uh, in a lot a better headspace than most do and um, really tap into that human potential. And in Steve's case, get through his seven to four. <laughs> <laughs> seven to four and then the, the kids at home and <laughs> always lots going on, um, but it's all good. So when you're talking about the mindset and, and what, do you, what are you seeing in industry? Um, like Rob, we've talked about it plenty, but from from some of your clients what are you seeing out there what are the challenges that are facing people in industry today oh my gosh uh this whole very broad of, question <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but it, it really can be summed up by this idea of burnout culture uh, we've become so uh into this idea of like you have to be burning yourself out constantly in order to you know be hitting the bottom line to to impress people to uh, show people that you're succeeding to get that raise or whatever it is. And, and the issue with this is, is that you're running off of a deficit strategy. So it's never something that is sustainable. Um, and it's, it's not easy to do. And at some point we all hit that breaking point of saying like, I just can't do this anymore. And that's when you see a lot of people, you know, quit their jobs um, lose their passion for what they do, or, you know, it's like they wake up one day and they ask themselves, like, what am I doing here? Um, but yeah, no, it really is dealing with this culture that has become so focused on all of those external things, like what's going to make me the most money, um, what's going to get me X promotion, um, and helping people figure out how to navigate that, and how to reconnect with, you know, who they are as a human being. Yeah. And like, like, let's just like for our audience. Right. And, and let's dig a little bit deeper. Right. See, like Steve, you know, this, like you worked fly in, fly out mining. Right. And you work 12 hour shifts and the lifestyle is brutal. And I'm not sure if, if the listeners have heard or have seen my post about mental health, but like the suicide rates in mining and oil and gas and construction in basically for men in heavy industry, like are astoundingly high versus the general population. And so like where I started seeing the gaps in our industry is very much about like we use KPIs, we hammer people, the jobs are really hard and like the leadership just doesn't get it. Like they're not treating people like people 
sometimes the the people who are the leaders they're they're very much like these fixed mindsets where training is like an abnormal thing or like thinking about your people and like having these conversations about mental health is like really uncomfortable and like feelings are awkward and i think like when i started to learn that and i started to see that it just became so obvious to me that this is a gap in our industry and we have to fix it because people are dying. And not only that, it's the same stuff that we see, Steve, where it's like RCM has been around since the late sixties. And yet we still don't get the performance we need. We don't get the performance that everyone is really working real hard to try and get. And that's why it's like obvious to me that we're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And like I was chatting with Bob a couple of weeks ago and, and, you know, his, I asked him that question, like, are the problems we had back when your dad started reliability, um, are they the same as what we see today? And the answer is pretty much like it's, there's a few things here and there that are different. They didn't have as much sensorization and whatnot, but, but the generally, if you're talking about the physical assets, it's the same problems. It's the same things. And the majority of times it all boils down to a human human cause or some sort of sy- systemic cause that has led somebody to make a poor decision. So and that's, like, and that's like the underlying thing that I want to mention about leadership, right? Is like Bob always talks about root cause analysis. And he always says like, if you end up blaming a person, you didn't go deep enough. Right. And it's like, Oh, it's Rob's fault that this thing broke that's usually not the right answer. The right answer is underneath that, which is why did Rob think that that was the best decision he could make on that day? And typically what you'll see around those answers, like Bob has a great spreadsheet or a great uh, PDF document that lists them all. But like, if you watch these movies like Deepwater Horizon or, or you dig into the Challenger, like it comes down to like business pressures and like, Basically, it's a lot of human stuff that never changes. And, and the underlying assumption that most of the companies that do RCA that land at it's Rob's fault is their underlying assumption is that the employee is not having the, the best interest of the company in mind, which is typically wrong. And that also like that somehow the employee is like, you know, like trying to make it worse. And I think like, to me, that assumption is flawed. And like, we know, like we've asked Bob, like on this show, like a, like a few years ago is like, how many times does it turn out that like, it was a deliberate act of sabotage and it's like basically never. Yeah. I like, I, I do, I say it all the time um, to people I work with um, when I was doing fly and fly out. And it's amazing how many, how few people actually believe you when you say nobody comes to work to do a bad job. Like you might not, come to work to do it you might have gotten into a bad headspace where you're not performing your best but you're not deliberately sabotaging things you might be skipping cutting corners because you don't think anybody's watching or what's the point but that's that's very different than deliberately um ruining something like nobody starts a new job and says i'm going to do a terrible job at at this and i'm going to destroy this company (laughs) But like, Lauren, like, let's dig in there, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you see disengagement from your clients, like, and, and never, and in my experience, at least for me, like disengagement never started on day one, it always Mm -hmm. starts 
or it creeps up later on. Like, how does disengagement work? And like, why is that, like, why does that come up for people? Yeah, I think um, in terms of, you know, like you're transitioning out of, especially for people who are transitioning out of school and getting into careers, you're going from an environment where you're constantly getting little nods at what it is that you're doing, whether it's your schoolwork, you get a grade back, you get a comment from a teacher or a friend saying you're doing really well. Um, and then you get into, you know, the employment environment and you start working and all of a sudden you're not getting that anymore. You're expected to do it because it's your job. Um, so when you're no longer getting that external feedback, the assumption is they don't even know who I am. They don't know what I'm doing. They don't care. And then once you convince yourself that that's happening, then it turns into the conversation of, well, why should I care? And, and when you have no way or experience with what's called internal validation and, and giving yourself um, the way to validate the work that you're doing, that I don't care kind of seeps in, not in that overt sense of saying like, I deliberately am not gonna do a good job at my workplace, but subconsciously it starts to take root and saying, well, if nobody is going to acknowledge me for what I'm doing here and my work really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, that's when you start to notice those little things like cutting corners and, and showing up in that bad headspace that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And like you guys, you, you talk a lot about high performance coaching mm -hmm. and high performance people. And there's a good amount of people that went to university that weren't, you know, the, the top performers in their class, they're just scraping by um, just enough to just stay in university. And then you, you get, I think it's called imposter syndrome or mm -hmm. something like that, where all of a sudden you're out in the workforce and you're looking at it and you're looking for people to do projects and make decisions, but your confidence has just been beat up over the last four years in university. How do you get out of that type of headspace? So that, that's like literally everybody. So it's like 70% of the population has imposter syndrome. Like that's a thing. Um, and basically it's just reframing your beliefs. Right. And I know like there, there's like, we had, um, you know, one of the people in, in the leadership program, they were, they felt the same way. They felt like, why would I speak about, you know, whatever in front of a bunch of people and, and really it's just reconstructing the belief. It's like you are an expert at what you do and you can speak about that because you have all this evidence that proves that you're an expert, right? And so like, that's kind of how we went about reframing that, but it, you can literally do that with anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I went, worked at Fluid Life with you there, Rob, and like, man, this guy went to MIT, like, I was, uh, I was pretty average at university. Like I wasn't anything special there. And here I am working with this guy. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, like we're working on the same stuff. We're, we're a team at the end of the day, trying to get accomplished the same goals. Um, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going with this, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's right, right? Like people are people. And, and yeah. I think that's the, that's the key message, right? And that's where the leadership that we're trying to teach is very much human focused. And I think like, it's not necessarily purely about 
you know, how many wrenches did you turn today? It's about who you are as a person. And that will, if you connect with people on that level and you build resonance and you build the feedback and you create these environments where people can have honest, open conversations, you're going to get the optimal out of everybody versus like just where what we do in industry, which is hammer people day in and day out with metrics and hammer them with, you know, you need to align this pump right now because we need it to run today. And, oh, it's a six hour job. Well, you have two hours, so figure it out, right? And like, that's what we do. And then we wonder why we don't get the results we want. Yeah. So just to focus on maybe office staff for a moment. And we've got, we've got people in every organization, they've got small teams of four or five people. Um, and they're trying to get these, these team members to accomplish whatever their goals are. Now, it's, it's always interesting because this middle manager doesn't have a lot of say on what goes on in the company. They don't decide, they don't always decide who they've hired, but how do you think they can give their team the best chance of success? Cause you know, they can't always affect change at that higher level and change the corporate culture, but they have control over that team and that culture of that small group of people. Yeah. And, that, and that's the first thing to think about. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're leading a team of five, like leadership can start with one person. It can start with you and it should start with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that's the piece. Like we had guys in the group in the leadership program that they had their team and they couldn't affect the budgets, the capital budgets or the maintenance budgets, or, you know, what's what, you know, the upper management spent money on that was not part of what they could affect, but they could affect the stuff that they're doing every day. They could affect the quality of work that they're putting out. They could affect all these small relationships that they're building between other departments. And that's really where I would start is like, what do you have control over? The first thing you have control over is you. But then if you're running a small team, you have control over like what they're going to do. And then just mm -hmm. start really. And then, you, you know, you can move on to next level things like building psychological safety, using vulnerability and courage to sort of really create strong bonds within that team. And then once you have that, then you really understand how they're feeling, what's, you know, what's holding them back or what's moving them forward. And then once you have that, I mean, you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I really think just to add on to that, I really yeah, think absolutely. that you can't, you cannot undervalue the importance of a team. Um, and, and feeling like you're a part of a team, no matter how big or how small, uh, that can completely change someone's outlook on their job. Because as long as you have a team of people who are thinking very similar to you, um, the extent to which all the other stuff, all the corporate level stuff, you know, gets to you and really affects your emotionality and your behavior is, is lessened because you have that group of people that you can go to and talk to about it. Whereas if you're, you know, all on your own, then all that bigger stuff really starts to get to you. Yeah. And, and I, Lauren, I, I do have a question for you on, on just that. Like, how do we see that? You talked about burnout earlier and like within mm -hmm. your, your direct peers or people under your, even your supervisor, if you start to see, how do you start to see that burnout before it's too late? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that for different people, obviously it appears differently, right? 
everybody has their own um, unique way of being in the world. But I think that once you start to notice a shift in people in terms of, you know, if someone was high energy now isn't, if, if they're pulling away from, from social interactions, if you start to see, um, you know, them less and less in areas outside of where they specifically work, then that's kind of when you can start to say like, all right, well, what's going on with this person? And, and in this sense, I know this isn't a great answer, but it's kind of the same um, indicators that you would use to see if like one of your good friends wasn't doing well. If, if you start to notice that they're, they're behaving differently, that they seem a little bit off, I think that that's a very good indicator of, of disengagement because they're pulling out of a part of their life that is extremely important and extremely central to their life, which is their job. So you'll start to see it in those same kind of indicators. And, and to me, it's, it just reinforces the need for psychological safety, right? And, and that need is where people can have open, honest conversations with each other without fear of reprisal, right? And I think like as a manager or a leader, you have to do that because then you can open space for someone who's struggling to come to you and say, Hey, I'm struggling. Or you can ask and actually get a real honest answer versus like most of the places that I think are out there where they say we have an open door policy, but no one ever uses it. <laughs> or, or, you know, you can be honest with me. Like, I'll tell you this, Steve is like the first time I started talking about depression on the show, I actually got a few emails from people out there who said like, wow, you should be worried that you're not going to get promoted because you talk about mental health on your podcast. And I like never had even considered that that was a thing, but, but it is right. Like, I, I don't know in 2020, I wouldn't have ever thought that would be a statement that somebody would make. Um, but I, I, you know, it's my wife is a psychologist and like we we talk about that stuff all the time. And so I, I guess it's probably just more normalized in in my day to day life. But um, for, for somebody that's, you know, uh, I think Clive and uh, some other folks we've had on the show before, like people are raised to hide emotions and yeah. um, and you know, their parents, it, the emotional intelligence, I know that's not always the, the best word, but um, understanding what a proper state of mind is or, or what your state of mind is at any given moment. Like it's, I don't know, I'm, I confuse myself all the time. So <laughs> well, we have in a this, course for in you. this long <laughs> sentence. <laughs> well, I, um, I mean, I mean, Steve, like the one thing I just like wanted to jump off here and say is like, this is, this is the real thing that I want to challenge people out there to say. And I think I've said it on this show before, but Gallup reports about 70% disengagement in the workforce. And yet every company I've ever worked for reports 80%, 70 to 80% engagement, which is like the inverse of what's the reality. And what I want to challenge people out there to think about and to feel is, do you even know what engagement feels like? And, and I think it's a hard question because the answer really is, would you do it for free? Does it make you feel good when you do it? And if the answer is no, and if the answer is, 
literally like I'm waiting till 55 so I can get the, you know, wherever out of here, um, then you're not engaged. And that's when, you know, these issues start to crop up. And I think like it starts with your emotional intelligence, because if you don't have a path to feeling that, then you're never going to even know. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting perspective on, on engagement. Cause like, I know for me, I, you know, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I, I wouldn't be working, probably wouldn't be doing a podcast either. But <laughs> I'd still, I'd still podcast if, even if I was a billionaire. I just talk about random niche things that only I'm, that only like 10 people are interested in. And <laughs> well, that's the show. So you're well, there we go. That's, all, that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> um, no, that, that's interesting. Cause like, you know, everybody, everybody I've ever talked to in my career, I don't think I've had ever heard somebody say, if I won the lottery, I'd keep working. Well, let's, let's ask so then I'd have, uh, that means I've met, and everybody I've met had zero engagement <laughs> or sorry, not Lauren, zero. Engagement, would you quit but... your job? Oh, heck no. Nope. I there love we go. There's job. a first. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah see, and... That, and that's the process, right? Like that's the process that Lauren's gone through and that we're trying to take people through with the leadership yeah. program. It, it's really about finding your purpose. And that's where you, Steve, you've seen me shift towards, you know, dismantling the high performance narrative as a mental health podcast, because I believe that this is a conversation we need to have. And it's the same thing with the leadership launchpad project, which is going to be a podcast, but it's also a program. It's like, this is a need that is unserved in our industry. And because it hurt me very deeply, I need to help people with it too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, certainly appreciate it, Rob. Like it's, I've had conversations with just people like, like you who used to work for tech and, you know, people have asked me about it. Like you worked with Rob more recently. Like it's, it's surprising how like you worked for tech for a year and a half, two years, two and somewhere around years, there, yeah. two and a half years. And like the number of people that ask me about you and like, Oh, you worked with Robert flu life. Oh, you've been on his podcast. Like, you know, it's interesting how, you know, some of these people that you didn't think cared about you or, or cared about where you went afterwards are, still interested and, and still like, you know, they picked up your podcast just cause it was you presenting it. Like they don't listen to podcasts and, and stuff like that. And so it's um, I, I think we often feel like people aren't listening or people don't care about us and stuff like that. When that's just simply not the case. It's we, we affect people in different ways. And, and, you know, it's, I think if we have more psychological safety, like you said, pe more people would be interested in, telling you that, Hey, I think what you're doing is awesome or be more interested in speaking up and saying, you know, letting you know that they really enjoyed working with you. They want to stay connected and, and those kind of things after you leave a company. But um, again, I'm rambling. So. And if you want to, if you no, I mean, like, I mean, if you're, if you're listening and you're, you know, you, you want to say those things to me, you can shoot me an email, Rob's reliability project at gmail.com. Like we're still, I'm happy to talk to you. Like we can jump on a zoom or whatever. And yeah, listen to the, to both new podcasts too. We shamelessly <laughs> plug them. <laughs> so Lauren, um, uh, you mentioned that you have obviously very high engagement with what you currently do. Like you feel very, very empowered with, with what you're doing. How did you get there? 
Ooh. Uh... And, and I, you know, I'm sure there is a hundred, hundred page. Um, oh, I could write a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> and no, the short, the short let's answer go, is let's episode... go for a cliff. What is it? The short answer is like episode two of dismantling the high performance narrative. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think I think the, the the actual short answer to this is is taking like I had to at one point in my life like take stock of what it is that I had done and and the things that I had experienced and really asked myself like you know what did I learn from these experiences? Um, what have they taught me? and and how have I moved forward from them and then from that I just kind of when I was in college I started asking myself what do I want to do with my life what will make me want to get up in the morning uh, to go to work and that just took me asking myself what am I passionate about I've always been passionate about athletics I've been an athlete my whole life um you know, I grew up with two parents that worked in the helping industry in terms of my, my mom was a nurse, my dad was a police officer. And I always knew that I wanted to help people in some way. Um, so it became this conversation of how do I combine those two things? How do I make a career out of these two things? So when everybody else around me was saying, I need to make X amount of money. I need to go into an industry that's going to get me that. I struggled a little bit because I was doing the exact opposite. I was saying, I want to find something that makes me happy. I, I want to find something that comes from what I'm passionate in. Um, and, and I ended up coming up with the answer of, of helping athletes go through um, and grow from similar issues that I had because I knew that I wasn't the only one, um, you know, at a high level of sport, struggling with confidence, struggling with self-esteem, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and I knew that it had hindered my performance and I wanted to be able to help athletes avoid that experience as much as possible. Um, but it really does come with connecting from, you know, what do you value in life and what are you passionate about? And I think when you ask yourself those two things, you'll come up with an answer that, you know, you have a lot of resonance with and that you want to engage with um, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, and I just lucked out in the sense that it's an actual career path. So yeah, well, <laughs> I just want to fight crime in the morning. <laughs> Vigilante all day. I, love I mean, I mean, I, mean I just like, just, just to like give people a little bit more, like, I think, I think what Lauren is saying, and like, we're not saying, you know, tomorrow go quit your job and like, whatever, mm -hmm. right? Like what we're, what we want to teach people though, is like, there are elements in your job that, that are more aligned to who you are and what you've experienced and all these things. Right. And you can lean into those and lean out of the things that are not engaging you. Right. So it's like, if you hate spreadsheets, then like accounting's not for you probably, but there may be pieces of accounting that are like dealing with people or engaging with vendors or, you know, doing those type of things, which are more around who you are. And I think like with the leadership program, we're trying to help people understand first is who they are and like what drives them and these type of things, and then connect that to what they can do every day in their work. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've got a couple courses going now. Like I think you, you have it with um, like just an individual company that the management signed them up for. Um, does everybody buy into it when they start? Like is, or they're, they're the people that are sitting there in the back of the room, disengaged, um, thinking, why am I in this? Uh, maybe some other colorful words in between. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard thing, right? Like, like we, we've, we've run the program. We've had a few people through it. We haven't got anyone internal. We haven't started internally yet. So I'm not sure how to get that one. Like we were lucky in the, I mean, in the public one, like the people who signed up wanted to be there. We knew they wanted to be there. They, and they went, they went all full steam on it. And we had some pretty incredible results in 12 weeks, which was like amazing. But I think like the biggest piece is those people who don't want to be there. Like, again, it just comes back to the human element, right? Like it's why, like what's, why are you, and, and like, if you understand who they are, why, why they don't want to be there and you can really dig into it. There's probably a reason for that, whether they feel threatened or they feel like it's not for them or they feel whatever. And then you just be a leader and you can help them see and it's what we said on the show like thousands of times, which is like, what's in it for them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we had Dylan Day on the show who was part of your your public course. And I don't think he would have ever come on the show had he not been part of that. And now he's interested in, in hosting another, another stream of uh, maintenance disrupted. It's, it's fantastic. So like, you know, of your public course and the people that have gone through it, like what has changed for them? What do you, how, how, maybe not necessarily different, but how have they opened their minds? How have they changed what headspace they're in? Um, and what are they doing now? Yeah. So <laughs> broad so, and odd question. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's a, it's a good question. And, and like we're, we have actually, we've recorded them. They'll be coming out in January, February, but we have four episodes of the leadership launchpad project coming out with each one of the people who signed up. And like, we go super in depth with that, but like each person had different things that they needed to work on. Like one of them was in a very fixed culture at his work. And he was really trying to get his team back from being super disengaged. And he had some pretty incredible results in terms of like those, those old guys that you talk about that are like, why am I here? He had guys on the, like working for him that wouldn't even tell him what's going wrong because they said like, why bother? You're not going to be able to do anything anyways. And now they're coming to him and helping him fix problems. So like huge results there, like, you know, Dylan, I mean, Dylan's incredible, right? Like he's launching a, a course for mechanics, you know, like a paid course for mechanics. He did a webinar with Upkeep. He came on this show and he's just stepping out as a leader in our industry, which he is, he just didn't believe it. And so he believes it now and you can see where he's come, right? And that wasn't even, that turnaround wasn't that long either. So there's, there's like it, each person will be different because of like what the root cause is that's holding them back, but you can get pretty great results. Yeah, that's awesome. And for our listeners, um, we'll, uh, we'll release the episodes from Rob's podcast on the maintenance disrupted 
stream as well. Um, we'll we'll just tie them in there so you can you can catch them on our 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 RSS feed. <laughs> we got uh, everything now coming yeah. on this feed. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> now, Lauren, were you part of Rob's first public run, um, or or did you you jumped into that one after, or you no, jumped in? So um, I actually met Rob doing a, a different like group coaching um, thing with my boss at Elite, um, where we basically uh, all of us ran side by side on, you know, figuring out what it is that, you know, makes us get up in the morning and and figuring out how can we uh, start, you know, getting after those things that you know, make us happy? And how do you figure out, like, what makes you tick, basically? Like, what is it that that drives you forward? How can you get after that on a daily basis? But it was also, you know, this great um, community where you had that psychological safety of, of sharing all of the, the struggles and the problems that as all of us who are all high performers, all the issues that you run into. And um, I really resonated with Rob because he shared his story um, with mental health and how much it had affected him. And it actually brought out aspects of my story that I had chosen to hide away for a while um, just because I didn't wanna deal with them for lack of better words. But yeah, so then we started talking about doing this and um, yeah, haven't looked back. Oh, that's awesome. And now you're, you're jumping into helping out the, the mining and uh, the heavy industry. And yes. what are your thoughts gonna, on that? We're like, going to get a wrench in eventually, Steve, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, you, you mentioned you wanted to come see, see a mine in the big truck. So we can definitely organize that. They drive yeah. themselves now. Oh um, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so moving into this more, uh, I guess, macho industry world, which I'm sure mm-hmm. like, I'm not a big athlete myself. I've you know, done a few things back in the past, but I was never what I'd consider a high performance individual for that stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I imagine there's a lot of similarities between the athletic world and the heavy industry world and and the macho industries as as they're called. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, I think the, the underlying aspect of it is, is, you know, we all have performance targets that we want to hit. If you're an athlete, it goes down to your play. It goes down to the points you get, to your team success, all that kind of stuff. Um, And these, like your heavy industries, it it turns down to this immense business pressure that these companies have and are dealing with. And there are very specific performance targets. The amount of times that I heard, um, you know, people talk about this idea of if you're working on a piece of equipment, Um, that every single second it's shut down is losing X amount of dollars. Like that is a, that is a high stress situation that any athlete would understand coming from, you know, the sports world, but it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a lot more similarities than people would think. Um, And it's all about, you know, yes. How do you perform under pressure and how do you deal with that stress? But also, how do you take care of the human being that's, you know, the source of all of it? You can't be an athlete if you're neglecting your human self for very long. You start to lose your performance. 
And you definitely cannot work in heavy industry for very long and be successful if you continue to ignore all of the emotions that go with being a human being. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I know from my personal experience, uh, particularly in the fly in, fly out, like, you know, first day you go, you arrive there fresh, you're good. Um, well, not, not, not always. Let's sometimes it was a you're bit hungover. of a slog to get up there. Um, <laughs> and then you get up there and you see the people that have already been up there a week or two weeks or three weeks in some cases. Mm-hmm. And it's instantly like, Oh man, that's right. I'm back. Um, yeah. And they're not always in the, the best space. And then you, you work with people that are exhausted, burnt out because they've been there too long. Um, and then by day two, you're already, you're already toast. Like I'm already stressing out because I only had 400 megabytes of data a day. I couldn't, couldn't talk to my family for more than 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, you're burnt out because, you know, you get there and you find out every single initiative you tried to put forward fell off, fell off the rails when you weren't there <laughs> or, <laughs> or there's a personnel change that you had no idea about. And all of a sudden, the control you had is gone and mm-hmm. like it's so much would change week to week and it was just it almost felt like starting an, a new job every week because so much could change while you're off shift and you have so much control while you're there but as soon as you're gone it's taken away yeah. um it, like it is it's a tough place to be how do you think we can improve those like i was in a particularly um rougher camp just because you know um the oil industries they have lots of amenities and other things um this camp we were i was brought in to try and help them improve the performance of the mine and so they weren't spending money on the camp (laughs) when when the the mine's not making any money but what Mm -hmm. do you think are some small things you can do in some of these places that really don't have the amenities and all they have is other people around Mm -hmm. what can they do to improve Um, I mean, this kind of goes back to what I said about teams, um, but the power that human connection has is, is so much greater than what we acknowledge. Um, I think that, you know, we all say like, well, getting to talk to my family for the first time in a while was so energizing. It was so nice. But if you can replicate that with the people that you're working with and create a standard to say, Like we need to have a conversation about (laughs) how we are doing today. Let's not talk about the machinery that we're working on. The mind doesn't matter for five minutes and just sit there and say, like, this is a conversation that needs to be had. It is as important as everything else that we're doing. Um, Because at the end of the day, if you're like, I said it earlier, if you don't take care of the human that's underneath everything, it's all going to start to fall apart. And Mm -hmm. the only, and I'm saying this, and I know that um, in the macho industry, as you call it, like the last thing that guys want to do is is sit in a circle, sing Kumbaya and talk about their feelings. (laughs) But you You know, I I actually, (laughs) I actually really hate calling it the macho industry because that's just, Mm -hmm. it's just not true anymore. There's some people within the industry, um, that have a certain viewpoint and that viewpoint is very much disappearing where we, you know, at least in mining and the places that I work or have worked, we have been shifting that focus Mm -hmm. to be thinking more about people, but it's so easy to fall back into the old ways when things are tough, when costs Mm -hmm. are high, 
production's low. It's so mm-hmm. easy to fall back and just and just shout, just get it fucking done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, I, I think that like, you know, setting those things up and, and even bringing somebody in whose job it is to talk to people and say, like, this is this is my sole purpose for being here is to help you. Um, mm-hmm. And I've said this before on a different podcast, but you cannot separate the human being from your employee. The person, the human is an employee from, you know, nine to five or seven to four or whatever hours they have for you, but then they leave that job and they are still that human and they don't leave the human at the door and check them and say, okay, I'm going to deal with you later. I'm just going to be an employee right now. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. So bringing somebody in that their job is to do the maintenance on the human. I think that's what needs to happen. And it's just something, right? Like that Bob talked about a few weeks ago, right? Which is like humans are assets. And I know, you know, it's not on the balance sheet, you know, it's under liabilities on the balance sheet, (laughs) but it's, it's absolutely true. And just as we talk about doing preventative maintenance on your, on your haul trucks, you should be doing preventative maintenance on people, which is making sure they're okay checking in with them. And then like, just as you're doing predictive maintenance, which is like, you know, looking at your sensors or, you know, doing oil samples, that's the same thing with people. Like understand if they're running a bit ragged today because you may need to give them some rest so then they can recharge and not fail, right? And that's like, it's all the same stuff. It's just, we don't do that. And the reason I think, you know, it's easy to turn to hammering people is because it's a high stress environment. You're put under a lot of pressure and like, that's like what you've seen your entire career. And I think like, that's why you see people yell at each other about stuff and, and the stress just keeps ramping up until something happens. Yeah. You know, that brings me into, I think the last topic I really want to dive into, and we've been talking about it really the whole time, but it's the work, work-life balance. And so like Lauren, you mentioned, you can't separate the person from the employee, but that really goes against, I think what a lot of us have been taught where once you're done work, you leave work and you, you become, uh, in my case, home Steve again, (laughs) (laughs) and then there's work Steve. And, but like how, like, that's just not the case, you know, especially right now when I'm working from home, my office is in my home. My kids run into my, my office all the time. Like there is zero separation between work and life. And, it, yeah. and it's to the point where like my work day isn't seven to four anymore. It's, I, I take breaks here because things with the family need, need a little bit of help and I'm around to support. Um, mm-hmm. But that also means I do more work in the evenings. Now with that complete breakdown of where work begins and home life, well, where, where work ends and where home life begins, how do you manage that? Like, what is, I'm not exactly sure where my question is in here, but it's, yeah. it's somewhere about, you know, dealing with that pressure and understanding that we're not uh, those two things, the employee and the person are the same. I right. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's one thing that I think that I would thank this whole year experience for is the fact that now this idea of not being able to separate people from work is right in our faces 
you're having people who are working from home all the time and the stress of doing that has shown us exactly what we should have known the whole time, which is that the, the human being who walks through the office door never leaves them while they're at work, right? So just kind of saying like, okay, so I know that I have, you know, Joe in the office or whoever it is, is not just Joe, the accountant. He's a father of two, a wife or a husband, a partner, has a wife, whatever. He has all of these other things that he's bringing into work with him. And now where we're at is we're saying, well, now he can't even leave those things. Theoretically, he can no longer leave those things, even, even if he was never leaving them in the first place, right? Um, which I think, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah, I think that this whole year has been extremely eye-opening for a lot of people in terms of showing them that, Yes, we're more confronted with it now because we're physically working from home, but we all have these cell phones. We're with our other people in our lives the entire day. It's not separated from, you know, this idea of walking into an office or getting on site for a job. Um, we are always the human being first and the employee second. And I think that this year, if we learn from it, which hopefully we do, will be a good stepping stone to teaching, you know, some of those people in upper management that the human being comes first before the employee. And it's yeah. something, you know, I talked about on this show before too, right? Is like, I always had this perception that I had three lives. I, I call them boats, right? I, I thought I had three boats. I had a boat that was my job. I had a boat that was my relationship. And I had a boat that was this podcast. And I felt like, you know, if, you know, I was saying like, if, if my relationship was leaky, like if I could lean into the podcast, like at least two boats are working. And then maybe the third one, we could figure that one out later. And what, what, Lauren's boss helped me realize is like, there's only one boat and like all your stuff is in one boat. And it's like, if your boat is leaking, whether that's your relationship, whether that's your job, whether that's whatever you do outside of work, like you have to fix the hole in the boat. Otherwise the boat's going to sink. And I think like for people out there, it's like, there's, and even one of the leadership guys in the group like one of the biggest wins for him was realizing that he takes his home life into work and like the emotion that he brings into work because of some of the like if he was having issues at home it changes the way he's leading and I think like just that realization really isolates or or emphasizes that like it is a thing and you can't escape it so you got to take care of it yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's really probably one of the, the biggest takeaway from this podcast. And I think just about every uh, podcast that, that you've done on leadership is we're people first, employee seconds, or, or humans first and employee second. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I say it to, I say it very, uh, quite often when I was doing the fly and fly out, I, you know, and um, I, I got into a lot of audiobooks. And one thing I um, one I listened to is called the art of negotiation. And I think it helped me on more than just 
the negotiation level because it, it also brought me into a point where you can think put yourself in the other person's situation and the first thing that it says in, in that book was like understand that the person you're dealing with is just that a person you can be hard on a problem but never be hard on the person like hard on the problem easy on the people and you know i think that's uh, i love that quote and i say it all the time and anytime I'm, I'm dealing with somebody that i've had a bad interaction with them i'm like look you know i'm not taking it personally but you, you gotta like remember this line mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and yeah no i i think those are just like really great points and remembering that we are people first the macho industries as it were would be a lot better places if if we all realized that and realized it every day like it's easy to say, but a lot of times when you're dealing with the day-to-day stuff, it is hard to actually get to that point and remember that. But with that, we're, we're just about out of time. Um, so I want to give you guys an opportunity to throw in any plugs. Obviously, your training program, the High Performance Leadership or Leadership Launchpad Project, which um, I think I just mashed a few different things together there, but <laughs> I'll let you give your plug. <laughs> yeah. So, so for, for both of us, so first off, we're hosting Dismantling the High Performance Narrative Podcast, a podcast which challenges the narrative around high performance. So the stuff we talk about mental health, we basically break down the stigma that is that everything has to be perfect in all aspects of our lives in order for us to be successful. So if you want to do that one, you can subscribe to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. We also, you can also follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. And yeah, the Leadership Launchpad Project, that podcast is going to start in January. Same thing. It's available everywhere this one is. Subscribe to that one. And if you want to check out the Leadership Launchpad Training Program, you can go to EliteHighPerformance.com slash leadership. If you want to talk about running it at your site in for your, like a private for your own company, you can send me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. And if you want to connect with Lauren and ask her any questions or find any services from her, you can go to EliteHighPerformance.com to check her services out, or you can send her an email at highperformancenarrative at gmail.com. So I think that's everything. So. <laughs> and I will put all of that stuff in the description. And um, I'm, I'm hoping to get a, a good blog post, post written on and which you can access on maintenancedisrupted.com, uh, which will have all these links and uh, some stuff that we talked about here today uh, available on there as well. So. Awesome. Yeah. Steve, I, Steve I just want to say, you know, like you're doing a great job hosting this show. <laughs> and and big shoes to fill (laughs) i i couldn't be i couldn't be happier that you took it over and blair took it over and like we're bringing on some more incredible shows and i'm just like so fired up about it yeah yeah it's been fantastic and thanks rob for for taking the taking the step back and and letting us um work with you on it you're still a big part of it you're not not hosting episodes but we're we're chatting just about every day i think about the podcast so um (laughs) But with that, uh, thanks, Lauren, for coming on. And thanks, Rob. Um, I'm sure we'll have both of you back in the new year sometime. And if you guys ever have anything else you want to talk about, just let us know. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much.